What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Renegade Animation on the Renegade Pop Culture Podcast Network. My name is Mike. I will be your host for this evening. Joining me, as always, is my co-captain, Cameron. Howdy, howdy. And making his Renegade Pop Culture debut, please welcome one half of the Ramble On Movies podcast. We've got Eric Muller. Oh, thank you for having me, gentlemen. Happy to be here. Yeah, we're happy to have you. And uh, this is going to be a fun one. We are oh, talking... Yeah about Space Jam and, of course, Space Jam, A New Legacy. So to kick things off, Eric, I want to start with you. What is your background with the first movie? Uh, well, I was in the seventh grade when it was first released. So I was in that prime market they were looking for because I was still that right age group where Looney Tunes was still cool. And I know who Michael Jordan was, so I would watch anything with him in it. Uh, I remember forcing my dad to take me to see <laughs> nice i don't think i ever saw the movie in theaters but once it came out on vhs i would pretty much watch it on like on a constant loop nice yeah no it was it was weird like that opening weekend like everyone i knew had to go see space jam like if you weren't if you didn't see it opening weekend you weren't one of the cool kids no it's one of those movies that's like the 90s yes probably the movie that represents the 90s for people who grew up either at the very tail end of the 80s and then got to experience it as a young kid during the 90s that's me and yeah it's a really good time capsule (laughs) that that, and that in a goofy movie are like the two like definitive 90s time capsules and and they were both released like right in like the center of the decade yeah they were for me I, yeah, of course, I saw it because I loved Looney Tunes. I, of course, I was a kid. I watched them constantly. And then, of course, it was like, I, yeah, I knew who Michael Jordan was. It's like, okay, cool. But it, it's like that, like, reaction to Kingdom Hearts where it's like, oh, my gosh, I don't care about this. You get to go to Toy Story World. Oh, my gosh. It's that kind of thing. It's like, Michael Jordan. Ah, I don't care who this is. Bugs Bunny. <gasps> As a kid. And then it's just left my mind <laughs> like shortly after i don't have any memories of talking about it with other kids i don't really remember it a whole lot and recently was just like the first time i actually touched it from 25 years ago good wow. gravy yeah yeah that, that is that is a while so although although i never saw it in theaters like it was that movie i saw constantly on vhs and before that i'm pretty sure i was born a a Looney Tunes fan. It was something I always watched growing up. Around my fourth birthday, I remember like I went to like a couple friends' houses and eat like every time I went there, I was gifted like a, a stuffed animal of Bugs Bunny. Nice. So as a child, that character was, was like a hero to me. To some extent, he still kind of is because he was like Looney Tunes was one of my very first fandoms. That still kind of rings true today. I will still watch like a handful of shorts whenever I get the opportunity. And at the end of this podcast, I have a couple suggestions. Hopefully they're all available to watch on HBO Max or Boomerang. But let's dive into uh, the film proper. First of all, it's, it's production uh, history is, mm-hmm. it's fascinating to say the least. Cameron, do you want to break down um, how this movie came to be? So a bunch of WB executives saw a bunch of successful Nike ads that had Michael Jordan and Bugs Bunny together and said, let's make a movie that's 
of course, not entirely true of how it happened, but that's basically what happened. In a nutshell. In a nutshell. In the insanity of the 90s, someone looked at a commercial and then said, okay, throw a... How much money did Space Jam cost? Like $90 million? $80 million. You were You were close. Yeah, $80 million. Put Michael Jordan on there because he's the hottest thing there and still is. And just see what happens and it made like oh how much did that 250 million worldwide yeah and this was back in the day before every anyone could ever hope to reach a billion dollars worldwide so 250 was like oh man that's a big deal mm. and uh mike what how are you well what did you think overall before we dive into it Rewatching it it starts off on a really awkward note because you know, the, the very first song that you hear is R. Kelly's I Believe I Can Fly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's one of those things looking back, you're like, ooh. And like they, like, they don't just play it in the intro. Like, that's his, that's that his, like, triumphant song. Yeah, yeah it's, it's his triumphant welcome home music. Like, w- once he returns to the baseball field, it makes it doubly awkward. Oh, I'm sorry. They play it three times. The third time is like during the credits rolling. Yeah, now that song pops up. And I think this was just a little bit before everything that unfolded before Kelly. So it was it was just like, oh, look at this stupid, harmless song. Oh, that's kind of cute. And then, of course, the news came out and it's like, Ooh. well it's also you know this was a grammy award winning song too of co- of yeah we can't help or choose what's going to age badly right in everything so but that aside you know out, outside of the fact that as charismatic as he is michael jordan can't act his way out of a paper bag um, no he cannot <laughs> at least he's surrounded by like a handful of funny comedians wayne knight is genuinely funny as his uh his wormy assistant mm-hmm. and of course bill murray just being bill murray is great yes but like i don't know what watching this movie it does kind of take you back to the 90s this, this, this is like as close to time travel as as we're ever going to get <laughs> Well, yeah. One part, like when they're in the hotel, he goes in there. He's literally listing off everything Michael Jordan is sponsoring: McDonald's, Wheaties, Hanes, uh, forget Gatorade. Gatorade, Nike, all of that. And he's just like, "Yep, that was everything." I guess back then, if you were a major company, you had Michael Jordan as a spokesman. Yeah, I hate to be like a Debbie Downer about all this, but I just don't think this movie holds up at all. I mean, there are a few funny things about it, but I think it's mostly just like, oh, it's based off of an ad. It, everything's fine. But now it's just like you watch it and it's like, man, they held this thing together with paper clips and gum. Yes. <laughs> like, it's a miracle that it got actually made, if you think about it. Yeah, and I will give it kudos. It's one of the few films that does the whole 2d animation mixed with live action and there aren't that many of them for good reason but Mm -hmm. yeah because it's a very difficult process getting like the animation to blend with with the realistic setting i will say i think like the 2d animation looks fine i i think it all moves pretty well Mm -hmm. and seeing all the looney tune cameos and like the audience and such like that that it's really fun if you're watching like the new hbo max series and being like 
oh, there's that guy from that one and that one or like seeing the two hillbillies or something from one from that one episode with bugs bunny and such yeah there's like a lot of deep cuts in the stands like you had to have grown up watching looting tunes or merry melodies to understand who some of those people were mm-hmm. yeah but i do also recognize that this was 1996 this was like a year or so after i think toy story came out in 95 yep this was when like a lot of animation industry people were slowly moving towards digital coloring and something just looks off about how i don't want to say like muddy the all the characters look but something about like the shading and the lighting looks kind of weird to me and then it was also like oh right we're still trying to work out how cgi works Mm -hmm. and there are some moments where it just does not hold up even if they try to stylize it like the, the car that you see or like the hover car or whatever it is. Oh yeah, the spacecraft. Uh, yep. Yeah, the, spa- the spacecraft. It looks like it came out of Pluto Nash. Um, another. I need. I need, I need to ask. Body horror CGI looked worse. Michael Jordan being like squeezed into a basketball, or Stan getting flattened and then inflated during like the big game. Oh, the stand part. Uh, that just is terrifying. Because that's actually like a fear of mine is like growing big like a balloon like that or like in a little big trouble in a little China. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That That is a genuine fear. Yeah, no, um, it's tough. I And I think it's also because Michael Jordan can't act, so he can't portray like the pain and the cartoony nature of like when he's twisted and molded into a basketball. So you just mm-hmm. see that screaming O face of his. <laughs> through the whole through that whole thing and it's like oh that's horrifying uh no thank goodness we didn't try to make the looney tunes cgi during this time period more of that later i know more of that yeah we'll talk about the 2021 sequel i think a lot of my problems with this movie is that it's a bare bones story and the whole film trying to be like the shoulders of one of the greatest or the greatest basketball player and i'm not a sports fan i just know i know he's he's like Michael Jordan was just that big. Yeah, he's today. he's one, he's one of those pop culture icons that like you don't have to know a goddamn thing about basketball to know why he was mm. a big deal. And just to rely on him to carry the movie, just no. <laughs> I don't Here, know how here's it. here's, the, here's the other problem with this movie. Describe what happens before the big game. Cool. Okay, you well, have a couple of montages, then you have that weird sequence where they have to break into Michael Jordan's house to get a pair of shorts and sneakers. Oh, with a badly composited bulldog. Yeah, you you, you, were, you mentioned earlier about like trying to do the 3D animation back then. That that's an example of it. And then, let well, let's see. We got the conflict of like the aliens having a terrible amusement park. And I can't even remember the names because who more cares? On more on mountains. Yeah, more on mountains. And who cares what the villain's name? He's just Danny DeVito as a goblin thing. Then they come down to, oh, I just realized how this doesn't make sense. The aliens come down. Do they like dig through the earth and the Looney Tunes live in this hollow earth? kind yes. of universe <laughs> like it's just like the ice age three situation where it's just a bunch of dinosaurs live underground <laughs> apparently or like the kong versus godzilla or whatever <laughs> i will admit though me being such an impressionable child i used to think that like like we really did have 
Looney Tunes living underground. Wouldn't that be great? So, right? <laughs> but yeah, it's like, I don't remember Michael Jordan's children's names. I don't remember his wife's or the, the kids and the actress who plays Michael Jordan's family. Mm-hmm. And between all this, it's when Michael Jordan was trying to go through his, like, I'm not a basketball player phase anymore. I'm a baseball player. And I know they were trying to be supportive, but they were more like jerks. It sounded so uh, passive aggressive when, when they were like, good job, Mike. You you suck, but you make sucking look great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, of course, we meet the best thing about the movie, Bill Murray. That's just... In universe, Bill Murray just being Bill Murray, <laughs> being like, you know, man, I could be a basketball player, and it's like, no, it's like, come on, man. I mean, that's his whole arc in the movie, and yeah, it's him wanting to just be a basketball player, retire from being a comedian. Yeah, <laughs> reminds me of when uh, Eddie Murphy was just like, I want to be a musician. <laughs> and it's how we got my girl likes to party all the time. Uh, we'll have to do something about that another time. Um, and then, well, really, it, then it just goes to Michael Jordan playing golf and then getting Isekai'd um, into the Looney Tune world because the Looney Tunes are like, oh, yeah, um, these aliens want to enslave us and we need your help. It, it, it's just not an interesting story until you get to the point where Michael Jordan gets warped into Looney Tunes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what every child in the 90s came to see. They just wanted to see, it's almost wish fulfillment for, for kids, like just to have someone like transport themselves to the wonderful worlds of Looney Tunes. And you get to see Michael Jordan play basketball at the same time. That, right. was, yep. that was what you wanted in the 90s because I was a sports kid back then. And because like growing, because, you know, watching it as a kid, I didn't understand some of the subtleties of it. Now as an adult, especially after watching the Last Dance documentary, I picked up on some very subtle things in that movie because as, um, Dan DeVito, his character looks exactly like the general manager of the Chicago Bulls who Michael Jordan hated. So oh. the subplot <laughs> of if you lose, you become a slave to this guy. Really, you, there's some not so, so, not so subtle uh, messaging there right there. Michael Jordan working through some stuff. <laughs> That's interesting. That Now, Okay, well, I give him kudos to that for that little Easter egg. <laughs> I think that's very interesting. Man, okay, so before we watched, we recorded this podcast, Mike asked how long it takes for Michael Jordan to get warped into the Looney Tunes world. And it takes about, out of an hour and 27 minutes and 48 seconds, it takes them 31 minutes and 20 seconds for the crossover to finally happen. That's a little long for a movie that has Michael Jordan. It's that short. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's a short movie. I didn't realize it was 90 or like 80 so or so minutes. And that's a lot of time to take just to get to that point when nothing was ever that interesting. Because I do remember a little bit about the theatrical experience when I went to see Space Jam originally. A lot of kids were bored up until the Looney Tunes popped up on screen. Mm-hmm. And I, I'll, I'll admit, I did like the uh, like when Bugs interacted with the aliens at first. And he's just being so passive about it. Like he's doing that whole like, ah, so does he have long ears? And they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Does he like- Hop around like this? Yeah. And they're like, yeah, yeah. Does he go like, and what's up doc? Like, and he like rests his arm on top of the the squatty alien. He's like, and what's up doc? Yeah, yeah. 
No, never heard of him. <laughs> I, I love when he does that in the in the classic cartoons. It's one of those gags that just never gets old. Yeah, all right. Bugs is just a great character, like one of the mm-hmm. timeless characters. And then I, it was kind of funny when they just vaporized the area around him. I think it could have been a little snappier. It's like they put a little too much weight behind his movements. But maybe it's also because I am so obsessed with how Sony does snappy animation these days and such um or have seen the current warner brothers animation output where they are just they're just making 3d cartoons <laughs> I, i'm just trying to remember it like a lot of this stuff that's outside of the major points one thing we haven't talked about yet is uh the score which was composed by james newton howard i just realized this like recently and it kind of blows my mind because when you think of James Newton Howard, you think of you think of things like like The Dark Knight or his work on Disney films like Treasure Planet, Atlantis, The Lost Empire, and even most recently Raya and the Last Dragon. I didn't think like he would be uh, he would work on a movie like Space Jam. Well, when the paycheck pre- is good enough. Yeah. When they're throw, hey, they give you a number that you're willing to do it, you do it. But man, I have to say, a lot of this mixture of 2d and live action does not look good especially when uh michael jordan's game pulled through the ground yep <laughs> there's a lot of like i i can't tell if it's compositing issues or it's just something that it's like he looks so out of place and it's it shouldn't really be that be the case for that because you know this was years after who framed roger rabbit and that one was for the most part pretty flawless so i don't know if he was just told to act and just pretend there were things around him or just like basic thing like points when acting and such but it it he doesn't interact well with this and not just because he's a bad actor and such but <laughs> I, th- I think one, one of the key differences between who framed roger rabbit and uh space jam is most of his interactions in space jam are like they primarily take place in Toon World, whereas yeah. whereas Eddie Valiant is primarily in the real world, um, mm-hmm. interacting with with Roger Rabbit. They had to be more more practical when like when these two were were interacting. Yeah, and it I don't know it doesn't quite work, and I think that's mostly because Michael Jordan has no charisma. And I mean. Ugh. I don't know. It's like, it, it's kind of hard, like unfair to pinpoint like everything that's wrong with this movie is on him. But when he's like 50% of the reason you go see this movie, that's a problem. <laughs> because the other, like the voice actors who they got for this film, which to their credit are doing their best, even though I don't, I wouldn't call these the best voice actors for these characters. Like, like Billy West, who, you know, everyone would know it's like Fry mm-hmm. and from Futurama is Bugs Bunny. And I don't think he's the best Bugs Bunny. He's pretty good though. He's good. He's not great. Right. I think I think he's a better Elmer Fudd who who he plays here also. Yep. And then and then you have D. Bradley Baker who voices like Daffy Duck and the Tasmanian Devil. And yeah, you can really tell it's D. Bradley Baker if you've seen his work. He's he's got like a very like monstery nasally voice but of course everyone would know him as like he's the he's all the clones in uh like the star wars the clone wars animated stuff and he's like all the characters from the bad batch well i say all the characters because most of the characters well, he's are the, clones. He's pretty much the bad batch yeah 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 and and then like you see him in other 
things like in spongebob and whatnot like he he's everywhere you you've probably watched a cartoon where he's been in it and such and what have you and then you have like uh bob bergen who is just one of the great classic looney tunes actors he does porky pig tweety bird birdie and hubie and Marvin the Martian. And then you got Bill Farmer, who everyone would know Bill Farmer as Goofy. And of course, uh, Pop-Pop Toad from uh, Amphibia. And he plays Sylvester and Yosemite Sam and Foghorn Leghorn. And I just, ah, I'm a little too distracted by his Goofy tone I that think, you can I think, hear. I think out of, out of the characters that he voices, I like his Sylvester the most. I think I like his Yosemite and Foghorn the most. And then you have, of course, the late great June Foray as Witch Hazel and Granny. And she was, of course, those characters for like decades. And then you have Pappy Le Pew, who does appear in this movie, um, voiced by Maurice Lamar. And really, who else outside of the major actors are like interesting um, enough to pinpoint? I, I, oh, wait, I, oh, wait, I, I guess we got to talk about her because she's I, I was also... I was wait, I was waiting for you to bring this up. So let's talk about the one reason anyone remembers Space Jam outside of the really good theme song. I might hate the movie, but I love uh, the, the theme. Anyway, let's talk about Lola Bunny, voiced by everyone's favorite TV animated mom, Kath Sose. Uh, Mike, you start first. What did what's your takeaway from Lola Bunny twenty five years after her very first appearance? Here, here's the thing. She's not really the worst character, but in this movie, she is a lot more. She has a she has a lot more merit than I think most of even her diehard fans like actually give her credit for. Like, just if we're just talking about the plot and like her involvement. She is the only Looney Tune who is a competent uh, basketball player. So, like, there's obviously a reason why she was introduced. Personality-wise, she's the femme fatale, and really nothing, nothing more. I think, I think Kat Suse is out, outside of Kristen Wiig, who voiced her in the Looney Tune show, and gave her a complete revamped personality. I've always personally considered Suse to be like her official voice. Mm-hmm. Well, she's voiced them like in multiple like projects and like even like her Lola's cameo and like Tweety's high flying adventure, if anybody remembers that. I remember um, that. And in in that short lived Wabbit series, she she was brought back for that. And I it, it's tough because on one hand, when the whole outburst happened with the new redesign, everyone was sharing a fan picture of her and not like what she actually looks like in the movie she's she's the straight man well straight bunny i or tune i guess <laughs> like sure let's um, go with that yeah straight tune to the zanier others but don't you already have michael jordan for that i don't know like she's not the most interesting character uh, but like the only reason we everyone remembers her is because she was the femme fatale like the hot girl because that's what a lot of her jokes are in this movie, is that she's the hot one. And there's just not much else to her, besides being, like you said, the one capable person who can play basketball. In in doing a little bit more research on this character, and I give credit to Dave Lee, who pointed this out in his recent video, when Lola was introduced to the DC Looney Tunes comics, she apparently became a lot more... She gained more of a an actual character. Those Looney Tunes comics are 
are pretty pretty good. They they they've been running those for like a couple decades now. I think they must be up eight or nine hundred uh, issues. So if if you can ever find those, definitely check those out. And I mean, it feels kind of crummy to be like, oh, she's just the sexy icon. I mean, it's kind of like how people have kind of come back onto the Transformer films with uh, Megan Fox's character, where she was like, oh, she's just a token hot chick that Shia LaBeouf ends up with. But then it's like, actually, she's like the most competent person in a few of those movies and then got unfairly kicked off. (laughs) And then, of course, how the internet treated her. Anyway, it's just interesting just kind of like her legacy as a character because i feel like after space jam there was like a hard reset of like okay let's give her an actual personality and then of course er everyone loves her looney tunes show incarnation with christian wig where she plays a bit of a manic uh pixie dream girl kind of character but like a a dark edge to her (laughs) Hmm. but then man in some ways i kind of wish this whole film was animated because then, like, after, like, we get all the characters together and such, they do, they cut in between, like, where, because, you know, the aliens steal the talents from all the major basketball players mm-hmm. of that time. And then you spend a lot of time with those basketball players try, trying to find out what happened to their talents. That that might be the, as funny as some, like, cl- like subtle jokes are, that's where, like, the, the movie takes a real nosedive. Uh, I mean, Eric, what do you think? I mean, I thought the stuff with the basketball players was part of the funniest parts of that film. Like, I think that was the parts included for the adults. So that way they don't try to, who are taking their kids to it. So they're not like, why am I just watching this stupid movie with Bugs Bunny playing a basketball game with Michael Jordan with slavery slavery on the line? It's it's just, because, yeah, because I was a sports fan, I was like Charles Barkley, I thought was great in it because he had some great timing in it. His joke about not dating Madonna again, I thought was fantastic. Oh, I, I thought that was pretty fun. I thought some of yeah. those jokes were very funny. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what that was. That, it's one of those parts because I remember growing up, you know, watching the Looney Tunes with my dad and he'd be laughing at a lot of the stuff and it would those jokes would go over my head because, you know, back then those weren't meant for kids. They were meant for the adults. Exactly. So, so that's why I feel like that whole sequence with the players trying to figure out what's going wrong with their powers sets a basketball Jones by Barry White, which I thought was very interesting. It's just one of those things where it's like, I think that's thrown in for the parents. Because again, you got to remember, this is the, supposed to be a family film, but they do a weird job of trying to balance the whole thing out where it's like literally, all right, we'll give the kids 80, 90% of this movie and we'll throw in five minutes of jokes that only the parents will get. There's one joke that really sent me. Um, it's the the way it was edited with um, Barry, Barry White saying, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, in the scene where um, Pat Ewing was in therapy and his therapist says like, are there any other areas where your um, performance is lacking? And he just turns around and gives him that look. Yeah, Barry White is saying, yeah, yeah. yeah." yeah. And Ewing's like, no. (laughs) Well, uh, see, okay, so there's the thing. It's weird that some of the live action stuff was a lot funnier than the cartoon stuff. Like, shouldn't it be reversed? Because I didn't find a lot of the dialogue jokes. (laughs) Like, it's like, we got spit, we got balls. And it's like, okay. And then they do a few references in the main game. Like, I remember for the longest time, I thought the... um, I think it was the Elmer Fudd and Yosemite Sam pointing guns at one of the at one of the monsters. 
I thought they were doing a Men in Black reference. And I then thought it's the like, same thing. And then you rewatch it, and it's like, oh, it's a Pulp Fiction reference because yep. then they played a, the the song in the background. And yeah, I just didn't find a lot of the cartoon humor funny. Some of it was a little cute and such. Like I like when Bugs is trying to like get you know worm his way out of everyone getting uh, enslaved, and he. Uh, writes this book book of rules like right on the spot i always think those are kind of funny because they're just like and it's right here and it's a the it's like book of rules here this is what we have to do <laughs> and because <laughs> well, also that's like the closest to classic looney tune humor you, you would get <laughs> yeah and uh, okay let's talk about the game so it takes about i think yeah like the 50 minute mark where the game where the game happens Oh gosh. Which which is weird because from that point on we really only have like 20 minutes left. No, Ish. not 20, 30 minutes. Yeah. Well, I guess not counting credits and whatnot, so it's like 28 minutes or so or so whatever. I I always used to think like the gate like the game lasted a little bit longer because because as it is by the time you get to the game it almost feels like we didn't have a second act. It's interesting because it takes a long time for the first act to wrap up and then you get the second act, the middle part of the film where Michael Jordan meets the the Looney Tunes and it's like, "Okay, well, I guess I understand what the situation is." And then it's just the game for the rest of it. What did you all think about the game? Like I, like the execution of it and, and such. Like I thought some of the jokes were funny. But I didn't find all of them funny and I didn't find it all that gripping. Mostly because it's like, why didn't they just do what they realized that they needed to do in the first place? Like, was it just because Michael Jordan was just like too stingy on like, no, you can't be cartoons in basketball. And it's like, dude, you're going against like five or so giant alien monsters. I would use every trick in the book if I were you because <laughs> jordan's ego wouldn't let <laughs> let him do it any other way no that that has to be the only reason the way like the the game went the way it did i'm i mean like i like i liked some of the parts like when i was looking through the crowds i loved seeing the dover boys that, the, that was that was fun and i liked seeing like rocky and uh mugsley and uh oh i forgot the uh the mountain lion's name i liked seeing him and I liked the uh, the scene where they have the little mouse who was not really part of the lineup, and they just threw him in for this one gag. When he goes against the uh, the tall, blue, lanky, stupid alien, mm-hmm. and he's I feel like was that like the mouse's gag in the original comp like cartoons? I felt like that. Yeah, that's what that's he was. how he would talk. Like that's how like whenever he had, I, I remember from like two maybe three different cartoons like literally that's all he does is you kept talking and going okay i really like this and yes mm-hmm, yes yeah and the alien was like uh-huh yeah uh-huh yeah and then just squishes him i'll admit that was funny i did like that one but then everything else like they should have gone loonier with this film and i don't know if it was like a timing thing or just technology or what have you because the cgi doesn't hold up in a lot of and a lot of this i think it's a little bit of both like there's something about the execution of even 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 when you know the the tunes get to be more themselves it still kind of feels like like the animators are holding back and it's hard to say whether that's just the technology 
being what well, like, I mean, it, it, I mean, we have to remember that this was 1996, right? And and it's not it's it's not its fault if it couldn't do half the things that we can actually do now. Well, I think part of the problem with the game is just the story structure of it, where because. You know, you had the first half where, you know, it was like the traditional basketball game as you as traditional as you can get there. Then you have that weird third quarter where Michael Jordan goes, okay, let's up the stakes. I'm willing to be a slave for you too. And then that's when they go, okay, now let's be loony. Let's have that great halftime speech with the, you know, Jordan's secret stuff. Yeah, even though I was just... Stay hydrated, kids. I'm sure if they, I'm sure if they had a little less control over the product, they would have made that Gatorade or something. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, probably. Because I mean, understand, understandably, you know, it's you know Michael Jordan, and he marketed some of that stuff. Though I will say, I did love like the scene where Daffy gets the ball, and all the mom stars chase after him, and then he tosses it towards Granny, yes. and all the mom stars tackle him. Like, it, this movie is so inconsistent, but I love little moments of it. Like, I love, like, when the aliens are looking at all the, like, the basketball players to steal their powers from. Mm-hmm. Like, I love, like, how just, like, the woman's like, oh, my God, what is this freakish individual next to me going on about? And by the way, that's that's Dan Castellaneta um, yep. sitting in the crowd. Really? Oh, that, that was him. Yep. And I will say my, like, do you all have a favorite gag from the basketball game oh probably when the uh, paint the big the charles barkley alien with the his butt red so that way the bull can come in and run him down oh that that's great i love the bull well i love those shorts with the bull yeah. and um i think mine was just when bill murray comes in to save the day and he's just like oh yeah no i i knew someone and yeah producer's a friend of mine i attempted to teamster to drop me off here yeah <laughs> And then uh, Dan DeVille's like, I didn't know Dan Aykroyd was in this picture. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 was, that, was, that was funny. Uh, like, Mike, that was meta before meta was really a thing. Yep. Yeah, that, that was like way before uh, Lord and Miller basically mm-hmm. took it, like took a sledgehammer to meta humor. Mike, do you have a favorite gag or like a joke from the original film? I, th- I think w- one, one that gets me every time is when, when Daffy is like um, smashed into the, oh, the yes. purple and he's like, but mommy, I don't want to go to school today. I just want to stay home and bake cookies with you. And I also like it that same part because he's like he's holding one of them so tight, like when they rip him off, it messes up his face. <laughs> and oh, he, yeah, yeah, he becomes like Picasso. Yep. Oh, uh, that part was funny. And um, I liked when uh, Lola jumped on the face of one of them and just like pulled up all the skin flaps down on him. I don't know. I I think they should have gone more cartoony or something like. Like, I mean, we'll talk about this with the new one. I That's what I think, like, the newer movie did better was that they did more with the cartoony nature of the game since, granted, they had, like, a freaking 45 or 55-minute runtime to do all that with and not just 28 minutes to get it all done. I don't know. Like, do you all have any other, like, praises or criticisms? Uh, I think we covered about everything. Um, yeah, I agree. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's an interesting time capsule. Now, I understand why people love this movie. It, I understand. It's like one of those childhood classic films. It's one of those things where it looks great through nostalgic glasses, but if you take those off, you understand it's a hot mess. Oh, it yeah. Is. And, I, and, I, and to be clear, if you like the film still, even like watching it today and understanding why people say it doesn't hold up, 
perfectly okay. Nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Both opinions can be true and correct at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's it's a film that I think should have gone further. And I think if they had a different team of people behind it, like, I don't think they needed a... Oh, what's his name? He's the guy who directed the Gremlin films and back in action. Oh, Joe uh, Dante? Joe Dante. I think he may have got, would have gone further, but especially with a film like this, with all like the money put into it and just like the big names and such. I don't know if they would have given him too much more control because, you know, studio shenanigans are a real pain to deal mm-hmm. with. Well, because what's his name? Oh, Spike Lee. He was actually helping with the development of it and it actually helped with a version of the script, but Warner Brothers threw that script away because uh, they were mad at him over how he was funding Malcolm X. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So think about that. You could have had Spike Lee help out with this film and Warner Brothers said, no. This sounds like, uh, what was it? Oh, when George Romero was writing the script for uh, the Resident Evil movie and and they just tossed it away. And I was like, thanks. Why would you do that? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. If Spike Lee got his hands on this, I would have loved to have seen what he would have done. Maybe he would have told Michael Jordan to show up to work. But <laughs> but yeah, no, a weird time capsule of a movie probably doesn't hold up, but it still has its moments. 25 years later, finally get a sequel. And uh, it's kind of hard to talk about this movie, not just because of the really just tiring Twitter discourse that happened with... Uh, oh god! Can you imagine Twitter was around back? Oh, oh good lord! The first one. <laughs> like message boards were already a nightmare to deal with. If like when the original two thousands Teen Titans came out, mm-hmm. um, and what and what have you and such. But man, Twitter back in nineteen ninety, woof. Because this film, like it, it, from what I remember, it bounced around a lot, like for a while. That they were going to make, like, there were a few sequels that they wanted to do, but then, of course, back in action, bombed and died in the theater. Like, I remember there were talks, like, there was going to be, I, there was going to be a skateboard one, and I forgot if there was going to be, like, a hockey and a football. I don't remember the hockey or, or football ones, but I do remember there was a couple different, a couple different projects floating around. One of them was called Race Jam, which would have centered around uh, NASCAR's Jeff Gordon. Mm-hmm. The other one was Spy Jam, which would have starred Jackie Chan, but that turned into uh, that turned into Looney Tunes back in action. You're telling me we could have had a Looney Tunes film with Jackie Chan? I know, Bro, right? I Jackie Chan too. Oh. And then Skate Jam was the one with Tony Hawk at the center. I think Tony Hawk even like brought this up recently on. Um, on his Instagram. Yeah, he, he, he mentioned like a couple of, you know, a couple of people called his agent and it's like, hey, we want to talk to you about this movie. And then all conversations kind of went dead. Yeah, and I'll say this, Tony Hawk has a little more charisma than Michael Jordan. It would have been a little better. Maybe oh, just- I, I don't doubt it. Maybe a little cringier too, because this was like, if this was going to happen when uh, Tony Hawk was in his prime, this would have been during like the big X games boom, yes, and such. So, oh, that I don't know. That may have actually would have actually aged worse depending on the situation. Oh, that's that's a, that's a good point. I've always imagined like an alternate future where, say, in like 2006 when Bam Margera was like at the height of his popularity, we would also be seeing 
like skate jam in theaters and that that would have been a wild time yeah but then or, or like, a jackass looney tunes team up movie oh right? what oh my gosh i would have loved to have seen that but i'm sure they really <laughs> just like they, they look There's... at that pitch and it's like nope <laughs> this film went like kind of okay we're gonna try to make one and then no and then yes and then no and then terrence nance was going to take control of hold on there's a little bit more before before that um go ahead so i'm on wikipedia right now and back way back in february of 2014 that's when warner brothers officially announced we are doing space jam 2 it's gonna star lebron one of the first directors they had on board was uh justin lynn and that that would have been some something interesting having the director of the fast and furious movies which by this point were kind of becoming live action cartoons anyway right the slow descent starting like i i remember i remember when when lynn was initially attached to to this project i'm like oh okay this makes sense the director of a bunch of live action cartoons is now going to make a live action animated hybrid that tracks yeah and then two years later lynn was off the project that's when terrence nance was uh brought on board and then Later that month, or a couple months later, Ryan Coogler was announced as a producer. And the like, the saddest but very par for the course with Warner Brothers thing happened, where a couple weeks into production, Nance left due to creative differences, and Malcolm D. Lee stepped in to take over as director. Mm, I got a lot of thoughts about that, but <laughs> I'll I'll say this about Malcolm D. Lee: as lukewarm as I am with most of his movies he he directed a really underrated film in 2017 or 2018 it called uh girls trip uh 2017 okay yeah girls trip in 2017 which really surprised me how much i enjoyed that one i think that was a big like oh my goodness people really liked it he also did undercover brother which which i love (laughs) i know i really like that movie too and then of course he also did night school mm. <laughs> and then scary movie five and and the best man so i mean like he's a talented director but i think a lot of that is also you gotta give him the right material and i'm trying to find like this quote from terrence nance oh here we go this is what terrence nance had to say about leaving uh the project my uncle al asked me if i remembered the lone ranger and tonto i said yeah he said Remember how Tonto had all the knowledge? He knew how to navigate the land, how to find water, track people down. He was the genius marksman. I said, yeah. He said, the Lone Ranger was clueless. He totally relied on Tonto and could never survive without him. Yet Tonto, with all of his gifts and all of his culture, was the servant. Then he said, don't be Tonto. I'm going to assume that the behind the scenes stuff was not great yeah it that does not sound like a a mutual uh departing ways i mean that's like the most it's like that thing that you see like a lot of japanese production companies do where it's like you read between the lines yes (laughs) and well we finally got it the movie that we all the nostalgia fans wanted on july 16th 
2021. Mike, start us off. What did you think about the overall movie? To quote the end of my letterbox review, largely, I think it's fine. It's a little bit, it's too competently made to be the worst movie ever, though too corporate to rise above anything other than pretty good at times, but it's also too genuine to be a cash grab. It's complicated. This movie has, let me count them. One, two, three, four, five, six credited screenwriters. And four of them had story credit. And mm. yes, one of those writers is Terrence Nance, who that must be a, a, a WGA or, or DGA rule where like if you had any involvement in the movie, you get a screenwriting credit. Yeah. I think it's based on a certain percentage or a portion that you write. Because if you remember of like Ant-Man, when Edgar Wright left, he brought in people to redo the script, but they kept enough of his original ideas where he still got a credit for it. Right. So yeah, there's six writers credited. You got Jewel Taylor, Tony Rettenmeyer, Keenan Kugler, which is Ryan's brother, Terrence Nance, Jesse Gordon, and Celeste Ballard. So if at any point you feel that certain jokes don't land while others do or the tone feels off it's because there are way too many cooks in the kitchen i'm trying to find out like what else these people have worked on and it's just like that's a lot of writers to have and yeah i see well like one of them was a writer for creed 2 uh jewel taylor and then we have uh the light thief and um tony redmayer and a lot of it just says additional crew though mm. nothing to ryan's brother only has a uh, space jam and is also working on uh the screenplay for creed 3 so it's it's not a whole lot of pe- people though I, I i assume that a lot of the better jokes came from jess gordon who worked on rise of the teenage mutant ninja turtles that mm. would make sense and then celeste uh ballard was on like uh, Rex uh, as a writer, Sweet slash Vicious. It's just a bunch of random stuff. And I don't... Which best describes this movie. It's just a bunch of random stuff. stuff. (laughs) (laughs) That's perfect. So Eric, what did you think about this movie overall? Uh, I go back to my main review on this, where I just more or less said, no, this movie continues the legacy of the first film by being a dumb, fun, bad movie. It, it knows what it is like when i saw the first trailer for this i and i saw him like going through all those different worlds i'm like are these guys trying to make a live action kingdom hearts movie before uh disney has a chance to because kudos to you warner brothers for trying that it's basically the like how i describe this movie is the oh my disney set sequence from ralph breaks the internet yeah but it's, it's, it's it's that but the entire movie Yes, it, my emotional experience, <laughs> I say this as like trying to sound snooty and, you know, like full of the arts, but I say no. that as just like my experience from watching it the first time was, well, that was fine. Kind of funny at points, kind of creative. Fine. This is what happens when you make a sequel 25 years later and have so many shakeups. And then I watched it a second time to take some notes on some things because i wanted to call to action some of the people marketing this film and then it's just like it's fun in moments but i'm 
kind of hating it. <laughs> not like full on like, thanks, I hate it. Not, <laughs> it's like, it's not the worst movie. I have my best to worst of 2021 up mm-hmm. so far. Out of my 34 movies that I have on there, it's at number 26. It started up higher, but then it crashed and burned, mostly because of some of the behind the scenes stuff and then just rewatching it again. And it's not like there aren't any good elements to it. That's, I think, I think that's the problem. There are too many moments where, for me personally, I saw what they were trying to do, but it just keeps rubbing up against like what this movie is, I guess what it's, what it's ultimately become. But I otherwise see like, for example, you know, the whole family subplot, I can, I can understand why someone like Ryan Coogler would be, you know, interested in uh, jumping on as a producer. Well, it's like, it at least it has a core to the movie because what was Michael Jordan's plot in the first Space Jam? I don't really remember like it was he just not challenged enough as a basketball player because it's like oh yeah i'm the top tier honcho i'm the big cheese now i want to go conquer another sport but then he goes back to basketball by the end of the movie (laughs) his arc in the first space jam is well to to the looney tunes he is pretty much just like Mad Max rolling into town. At least LeBron in this movie has a more a more personal connection. Although it may or may not come off a little uh, a little too on the nose, because in the intro during I guess one of either either like a game or a practice, you know he's sitting on the bench playing a a Looney Tunes uh, video game. Oh, I know exactly what he's playing. He's playing Bugs Bunny's Crazy Castle. Oh and, wow! Yep. Yeah. And first of all. That's the the first note I took. That friend giving him the Game Boy with the game in it, that's not as great of a gift as you think it is. I mean, first of all, I love the Game Boy. That's not the problem. You give him a C-tier Game Boy game and not Super Mario Land or Kirby's Dream Land or something. It's just kind of like, hey, I cared enough to give you my Game Boy, but not enough to give you a good game with it. <laughs> <laughs> and... I will say at least they played a song that matched the time period that it was taking place in because I looked it up and Ghetto Superstar was from 1998. So at least to me, that mm-hmm. made sense more than I believe I can fly in 1970 something when Michael Jordan was a kid. And then probably one of my favorite jokes of the film is that little cutaway in the montage. Well, first of all, I loved a little like, uh, rotoscoped animated sequences like that that they would trace over uh lebron james with mm-hmm. like i thought that like it, it, it was a much flashier looking montage sequence but i love this the part where you see him be like i like you see this i do this all for you cleveland and then he directly cuts to him to a news report saying like and now lebron has joined the los angeles lakers it's like I swear someone in the editing team wanted to take a small jab, like who was a Cleveland uh, fan. Right, a Cleveland fan who's like, I'll, I appreciate you bringing us a championship, but I will never forgive you for the decision. No, well, and it's just, I thought that was very funny. Just like a, a great edit gag. Oh there. no, I thought that was a good, whether it was on purpose or not, but yeah. Yeah, but it does feel like someone in the editing bay was really spiteful. And it's like, I probably, I can't do anything in real life that's legal to you 
but I can do this. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's one of the best uh, shade throws that any editor could have done. Mm-hmm. Right. And then we go through the boring, drawn out, long time to get to when the movie actually kicks in. Because, first of all, movies, stop trying to pretend that you know what making video games is like. Just stop it. I was a quality assurance tester. None of that, what I saw was accurate. (laughs) Sorry, I'm just putting that aside. I know like we make fun of Michael Jordan for just being a walking brick wall of charisma, but what, but LeBron has no excuse. Like if, if we're taking this into like continuity, especially with like the cameos that show up in the film, he has acted in two movies by now, Trainwreck and Smallfoot. I mean, granted, they don't really say what time period this movie takes place in. I don't know if it's 2020 uh, or 2020. They present day, so. Well, I know that, but it's just like, okay, but what's present day there? And all because of a Smallfoot cameo that I see in the background of the game later on, but I'll get to that. So, did something happen between here and then? Because LeBron is just wooden. Like, he has, like, the same charisma as Michael Jordan, and I don't know if that's just, like, something that, that he chose to do or the director just wasn't paying attention, but I don't know. What did you all think of LeBron's performance? I think I think the main problem is his arc is taken a little bit too seriously. When you watch him in, in Trainwreck, he's a lot more comfortable because he's playing himself. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's playing himself here, but... But, but he's playing, like, he's, he's like Bill Murray in Space Jam. He's just playing a caricature of himself in train wreck well, yeah train wreck, he's working off of bill Hader, which is always easy to do because bill Hader is so good at being able to act and also make other people better in scenes right uh, that ain't that the truth it, it's just like he doesn't have any of that charisma and i, I and mike i think what you said was correct so, this movie takes it too seriously when it's just like and i get it they want an emotional core with like him trying to bond with his son and even though this is current day, and he's just like, man, you can't make a living off of video games. And it's like, <laughs> uh, excuse me? <laughs> like, I'm sure you live near the guy who made Minecraft, depending on where that, the location of that house is. So, uh, excuse me? <laughs> it's, it's, and, it seems like that, and like that sort of dialogue that kind of reeks of, how do you do, fellow children? Oh gosh, that's what it does. I will say that there was one good gag with the uh, the older son getting constantly whacked by the basketball machine, mm. like shooter, where it's just like, man, I just want you to have a ball. Doom, boom, ow! And then like when the mom's telling them to come in, and the son and the son that has the turmoil with uh, his dad, it's like, what are we going to have? Spaghetti and meatballs? And then the kid gets hit with the bo- with the ball again. I thought that was kind of cute. I I like that kind of humor. Well, I because you asked about like Bron's acting, and I feel like he gets better throughout the film. Because I think what this film is, and I had this revelation this morning while walking my dog, is you know sometimes people are working through things when they're working on a project. And I think for LeBron, his whole arc relates to his real life about you know, him being growing up in a single, you know, a single parent household and him not really knowing how to be a father. So he's going after the only real 
male authority figure he had, which is his coach. And his coach is, you know, was telling him video games are stupid. They're a distraction. So that's why he, like, they really stressed that in the beginning for LeBron. But this is also a continuation in real life when he is trying to be, like, a real good father for his kids. But he still gets dunked on by the national media for going a little too in on it or making a fool out of himself supporting his kids. It's so It's just, like, this weird, like, thing where I'm like, this is LeBron saying, look, I'm trying – my best to be a good dad that's, that's, that's not, something i can i can appreciate like the yeah. when when actors and filmmakers kind of bring in real life elements to their to their films mm-hmm. yeah no it's like that's why like i give the kudos to the film having an emotional core with that and at least it's one that you can you can understand yeah but Even it's if, like, also weird to say that space jam has this emotional core <laughs> right <laughs> i mean it's not a strong emotional core but it's a core that's more than you could ask for that from the previous film even though also i like yes i do agree lebron does get better i still think he acts wooden but at least he gets something to do along with uh cedric joe um who plays dominic the younger son mm-hmm. um but the others like soniqua martin green who i've seen before and she's great just doesn't get a whole lot to her character like and I don't know. I give her kudos for that line delivery during the game where it's like, you got to win this game for our son. And she does it in a way where you can't, like the line is horribly written, but the way she delivers it, you're like, you know, you did a good job with it. You did the best you could. Yes. Actually, that's very true. Like, I do like the line where she's just like, uh, like Dom, Dom, he can't hear you. I'm his mom. He better hear me. Yep. Uh, so that I'll admit that 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 was a great line. Then I feel bad for like the uh, for like Sayar uh, Wright. He doesn't have a lot to him. He's the older brother. And then uh, Harper Lee Alexander. I think she only gets like who plays the youngest daughter. I think she gets like one line in yeah, that whole at, movie. At most, yes. Anyway, which is interesting because it's like the exact opposite than like the kids who play Michael Jordan's kids, where. They had a little more time, but like not enough. I mean, I, I don't think they had enough screen time as LeBron's kids in this movie, but they had more to do within the screen time that they were there. Of course, they were there to help Bugs get the shorts and such. But let's talk about the best thing about this movie. Don Cheadle as Algae Rhythm, the only guy to show up to work. <laughs> Pretty much. He understood the assignment. Yeah. That he did. He was a lot of fun to watch. And I like Don Cheadle. I think he, he's got a lot more range than I think a lot of people give him credit for or that he's given. Because I understand he's played a lot of more serious roles more than comedy. Mm-hmm. But we have to forget, we have to remember, he was also in the funnier Die uh, Captain Planet skit. So he he's not a stranger to comedy. And... And there is at least a creative angle to the algorithm being the villain, even though the meta-ness of it doesn't work since I, I'm wondering if this was made, like the algorithm was made as a villain, not just because of like algorithms running websites like YouTube and what, and the web and such, but more just like, I forgot when this happened, but I remember Warner Brothers was trying to copyright an AI system to help them make movies. People kind of like misunderstood that to think like like an AI is taking over the role of like a studio executive. And that, I mean, that's what I kind of thought that the gag was. 
Mm-hmm. And at, at least like I at least like Don Cheadle like put in like a hundred and ten percent into being as like delightfully sinister for like a cart uh, like as a cartoony villain. Right, yeah. He was better than this movie deserves at some point. Oh, he he yeah, was yeah. way better than what this movie got. And then um I didn't care for his little sidekick character, Pete. I don't know what that thing was, and I thought he had the worst CGI out of anyone from the movie. It's, it, it was a it was a cute idea, but not not really good execution. Agreed. Ag- agreed. And then we get some of the weird, awkward cameos when we go into like when LeBron was like, we're going to talk about this movie thing at Warner Brothers and we're going to go there. And then they watch the algorithm do the pitch meeting. And then you see Steven Yoon and Sarah Silverman completely wasted. Like it's like all all through that part, I was like, is Steven Yoon going to do his sorry to bother you character or his like mayhem character or something like that? Just like, please give me something. And no, he's just there to smile and wave. Sarah Silverman gets a little more. And I feel like some of her stuff was improv, but I don't think it was very good improv. Like after LeBron goes on his little thing, like, man, this is kind of creepy that an AI can cop likeliness. Because I mean, we're, well, we were- doesn't make a, LeBron make a joke about like, you know, having an athlete being going into movies isn't is a great idea. Yeah, it never works. I understand that joke, but it's also like, you've acted in two movies at this point. Your character from Smallfoot shows up in the background of the Space Jam game. Like, it's a, that must mean that in that universe, LeBron does not voice his character from Smallfoot. Apparently not. That just threw me off a little. It threw me off more than it should have, but it's always just one of those like moments where it, it catches you off guard when you think it shouldn't have. And that's kind of one of the problems of like having so many screenwriters. Like, you, like you you end up losing track of like what lines should stay, what lines should be tossed in the trash, and it just kind of becomes a jumbled mess. And then we get to the part like where like LeBron and his kid are zapped into the, the the warner server is that what it's called the, oh, ser- yes. the server verse the server it's like warner verse 3000 or something yeah it, it felt like a big like a play on like hbo max though they did take out that line from the first trailer where he's just like i bet will smith doesn't have to deal with this with his kid <laughs> um <laughs> which that would have been funny to keep i don't know why they took it out i thought that was, I know, that was a great line <laughs> and then it, okay so this is one of the things I took note of. How long does it take for LeBron to get sent to the Looney Tunes world? 25 minutes and 44 seconds of the one hour and 55 minute runtime. What is with these two movies and just not getting there fast enough? Because you don't see the Looney Tunes until like, well, you don't see them properly until like about 20, like 26 or 27 minutes in. Like when LeBron meets uh, Bugs Bunny. Oh, about that. Um, this whole subplot of like getting the band back together. Tell me that's not like ripped right from the 2011 Muppets movie. Yeah. yeah. It, you know, what? it works in both of those movies. It does though. It's like, we're going to talk about some of the, how Warner brothers just sluds the film with all the stuff they own. Now I did like the first little interaction, like how LeBron actually meets Bugs Bunny by doing the classic rabbit season, duck season thing. And I loved when uh, Bugs Bunny turns into, uh, <laughs> as the internet likes to call him, Big Chungus. Like when he gets all fat and such, which was originally from like, you know, one of the original 
Bugs Bunny cartoons when he yep. imitates fat Elmer Fudd or when Elmer Fudd was really heavy set. I thought that was kind of cute. I, it's like, going to shoot the rabbit. And some of the jokes in this were cute. Though, man, couldn't they come up with a different joke? It's like, oh no, I'm turning into Kevin Hart when he lands into, and he's short and such at first. I don't know, it was just lazy joke but whatever this was kind of a contingency from like when i kept up with the production notes of this film and then mike and i saw the annecy preview for space jam what did y'all think about like finally seeing the 2d animation on screen i thought it looked pretty good on the big screen i mean just in general anytime i get the opportunity to see a like a 2d animated film in theaters i'm going to take that opportunity i don't know how this would have played um on hbo max maybe i'll rewatch it later but i thought the animation was okay not stellar at least not after a few hours removed from seeing it but it played pretty well on hbo max i didn't have time to go to a theater because of work yeah i saw it on my tv it looked pretty good now for like the animation itself i will give them kudos it did not look as muddy as the original film like i think they going the brightly colored route was a much better decision than doing like the darker colors and such from the original film and then well i think some of the lighting made it look clunky and it it was like this with the original film too like some of the lighting made it look a little weird you learn about shading like shadows and lights in filmmaking and such and animation and, and what have you it was like they always had a constant shadow on them when there was no reason to at points and then we do the whole thing that kind of pissed everyone off the whole like traveling to the different the different universes yes now on one hand i loved the dc superhero one i loved seeing the mike who was the guy who worked on the batman and superman cartoons oh, bruce, uh, bruce tim yep. yeah bruce tim i love that they used that look for everything at in dc world it was a little funny to see lebron get cast as robin like i'm robin i'm freaking robin <laughs> though i guess even though it would have been fun or maybe too on the nose if he got uh john stewart green lantern mm. which is weird because john stewart does show up <laughs> or yep. at least the character does yeah and seeing daffy and but porky tr- like try to do a fake traumatic incident thing it's like we gotta stop this train before it hits a an orphanage of course <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was cute. I, and really, that's all because of like how good uh, Eric Bauza is as Daffy Duck. And Eric does Porky Pig, too. Yep. Interesting. And this is weird because Mike and I are watching the HBO Max shorts right now. It's like Eric Bauza and Bob Bergen and Jeff Bergman play a bunch of the different characters. But now it's like it's kind of reversed. Some of them play the ones that the others play. Yeah, in this in this movie, Jeff Bergman plays Bugs, Sylvester, Yosemite, Fred Flintstone and Yogi Bear, and Bowser plays Daffy, Porky, Foghorn Leghorn, Elmer Fudd, and Marvin the Martian. Which I, I love Eric Bowser's take on Marvin the Martian. He is probably the best voice for Marvin. Yeah. So, and then we go, like, of course, we go through Mad Max, Fury Road, where we see uh, Wile E. Coyote and the Roadrunner, which I thought that was kind of cute. But did they, like, do like recreate the scenes or did they like digitally put them into the movie i think they were digitally inserted yeah digitally inserted okay that's interesting because it was just also interesting to see that one low-key deep cut looney tunes guy the bandit guy who's gone against daffy when daffy was like in the western cartoon and such oh yep um as tom hardy's character and then we go to casablanca where we see yosemite sam 
because of course his name's Sam and the famous line sing it yep. Sam which I, I thought that was pretty funny it's like oh man you got baggage lady I respect <laughs> that I mean what did you all think about the, the like the combinations and stuff like we saw a foghorn in uh, Game, of Game of Thrones yeah like I say I say winter is coming this wasn't the part that annoyed me with the IPs because you know like we've talked about this and it's been said on Twitter Looney Tunes has been kind of a marketing thing for a few like for a few decades like beforehand yeah like, yeah sure we we love watching the old cartoons but then you get older and you realize like oh i see what this is to expand on that a little bit right from like the early like looney tunes and merry melody shorts from the 30s those the merry melodies especially those pretty much were only made to serve as like animated music videos for warner's extensive music publishing library mm-hmm so like each one of those shorts was like pretty much exclusively devoted to you know bringing one of their songs to life and like a lot of those old shorts used to have like just caricatures of the famous comedic celebrities that were on or just famous people in general yeah like how many times did they do a caricature of humphrey bogart or peter lorry james cagney etc yeah yeah so this is nothing new for looney tune and such so that that's not really the big problem though i do have one question Mm -hmm. when we get to wonder woman where lola is and we'll talk about granny being in the matrix in a second why is wonder woman separate from the dc universe honestly that's a really good question well she also shows up briefly in the dc universe i think there it was the dc animated universe for that one and then for some reason they're trying to stick to the wonder woman dceu even though it was animated which is weird but i think that's what they're trying to go with and if you want something like trippy about all that rosario dawson is the one who voices wonder woman in this film yeah and and she's voiced wonder woman in a couple of the dc direct-to-video movies yeah, so it's it's really weird. It's this weird meta-ness of just, like, everything. And then, of course, before we get to the major one that kind of pissed people off, let's talk about Granny showing up in The Matrix with Speedy. Which, first of all, good job on Gabriel Iglesias as Speedy. I thought he... That's perfect casting. I love... Agreed. Him. And then Granny being played by Candy Milo. Granny is kind of an interesting character, in some ways it's just like how she's portrayed in this movie because she's played up as like the scene stealer mm-hmm. i guess you could it, it, that's how you can put it didn't care for the twitter line i thought that was kind of uh but it, it was cute i i that didn't really bother me though i can understand why it bothered people with taz being with rick and morty <laughs> even though i thought that was probably the best joke out of oh, all I of thought, those I, that was my favorite one i agree i just like wait hey here's your badger thing we're done doing experiments on it <laughs> oh geez i just can't get what i was <laughs> in there out of my brain <laughs> it's like he's your problem now suckers i kind of hope tonight's episode of rick and morty makes fun of that even even for just a second actually shows him testing on Taz. Yeah, no, well, I hope so because this was the interesting part. Rick and Morty is the only Adult Swim slash Cartoon Network character to make a cameo in this movie. We don't see like the characters from Dexter's Lab or Powerpuff Girls or or like Johnny Bravo or like Samurai Jack or like even Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Well, I mean, what what was the age rating for this movie? PG. Yeah. Okay, then that makes the Rick and Morty thing even weirder, even though that was probably the best joke I've heard from Rick and Morty. Because you know how I mentioned earlier in the first Space Jam, like that whole segment with the NBA stars was for the parents? Yeah. This joke was meant for the parents again, because 
hypothetically, if I had a kid, they'd probably be old enough to see Space Jam, but I'd be the one appreciating the Rick and Morty joke. Right, right. That's a, that, yeah, that's a good point. And yeah, and then they do the whole Lola Buddy in it, Wonder Woman thing. Which, which, I, which I thought was actually great. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, the animation there was great. I love. Oh, I love that art style, yeah. And I loved the, well, it was like a lot more like reactions and just like animation to her than like when she's outside of that world and uh, when everyone gets turned into CGI. Like I love like when Bugs is like, hey, Lola. And she's like, oh no. It's like that turning red trailer when like the little girl gets the, the note saying like your mom's here. And it cuts oh, to yeah. like a and it cuts to like a horror film kind of take of when she's like looked at the window and such. And I thought that was very cute, cool. It was probably one of my favorite scenes of seeing the uh, Lola do the whole uh, Amazonian trial thing. Now, like what's next? Like, like, okay, so here's the other note I have. Out of the entire movie, it only has for, for 2D animation, including the major part there, the 30 minutes that, you know, it gets to get to the big game. And the little bits that you see at the end, 24 minutes and 12 seconds total. Wow, of, that's it? Yeah, hmm. of 2D animation. And it's because this will probably kill any Lola fans, it takes 42 minutes and 53 seconds for Lola to finally show up proper. Because she shows up like when Bugs is doing that whole Shatner, terrible Star Trek impression joke, like the little icon and such. But proper like during the amazons uh 42 minutes and then when we get to the cgi part which is about like an hour total into the movie the amount of cgi animation total Mm -hmm. is 25 minutes and 33 seconds so it's actually about even it is about even which was interesting because i think we were all wondering like were they going to pull a sponge out of water and so much of it was going to be 2d and then the last half was going to be cgi but this was also like total of like in between and not counting all the big CGI cameos and people and the like the audience and such. Or just like when the algorithm does the pitch thing, which I thought that the animation there was done done very well. But yeah, let's talk about the other part that kind of threw people off. The CGI looks of the, of the Looney Tune characters. What did y'all think? I thought they looked okay. I think what kind of saves it is the fact that Bugs is like, very uh very explicitly against it and of course daffy being daffy is like i look expensive uh eric what did you think uh i thought it looked pretty okay i thought some of them looked better than others i thought taz probably looked the best out of everyone i think Uh, taz did have the best look because everyone else like the like the more humanoid characters like uh elmer fudd and porky pig looked a little too smooth Mm-hmm. same with granny now i'm not going to talk about the lola design i thought she looked fine that let's just keep it at that well she looked um, like a person who could play basketball so good for her and yeah. be an amazon amazonia yeah and but yeah i agree i think taz i think foghorn looked good mm-hmm. and i think uh marvin looked pretty good but then you got cases like gossamer which they gave him a mouth and I know, like, he had a mouth, but for the 2D cartoons, he was just, like, eyes in a yeah, big thing of he's, fur. He's, like, eyes, it's like, some eyebrows and fur. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, his, his, uh, his 3D design looked weird. I think if they just took out the mouth, I would have been fine. I think what really drags down some of these designs is the fact that they're using fairly realistic textures on characters who should not be using them. I think if they went the route of the Tom and Jerry film, 
like from this year where they they just look like cell shaded cgi models instead of these weird awkward cgi like realistic stuff it would have looked better do you think they should have kept lebron animated like they just turned his 2d model into live into cgi or do you think it was they had to i I think i think they had to like um to i guess turn him back to normal hmm yeah. Because, yeah, because then otherwise you would have had to make, eh, like, when everyone gets warped into that game, like, everyone from the real world, they would have had to gone CGI, too. I, I guess the, the thing was, it's like, he was a cartoon, though. Like, he didn't come into Looney Tunes world as live action and then warped himself to, to, to be a cartoon. When he comes out of that Nike hole in the ground, which that was kind of cute. I, I'm not going to... I mean, it's, it was kind of like uh, eye-rolling product placement, but whatever. So I, I, I guess that's, that was just interesting to me. Now, we don't have the Monstars, but we have the Goon Squad. They don't leave much of an impression. <laughs> I, think, I think it would help if I was a bigger NBA fan. You know, I would know who these players are. But since I don't, all I can really comment on is their uh, CGI appearances and I kind of see what they were going for, like making them look like kind of out of this world and, and monstrous. But I think like compared to the Monstars, they just kind of took it like a little bit too far. Because I, I might not remember all the individual name of the Monstars. But, but, you, I rem- but you, yeah, but you remember the Monstars. Mm-hmm. Here it's just like these look like very generic video game characters and such. But, you know, his son, LeBron's son would work on a generic-looking video game, even though it looked like a pretty fun uh, NBA jam kind of thing. Did they explain what happened, like, how they got the likeliness of all these characters down and such? Or- so what was is LeBron was doing a charity thing, and his son was there, and his son asked the players, like, hey, can I do a scan of you for my game? And they're like, oh, yeah, sure. And then when that scene with... Uh, with algae rhythm where they're going through and improving like the sun stats that's when they start combining the players with animals and all that stuff i was like yeah i mean the, the, like the, I, mon- the the monsters like yeah i don't know their names but i know their looks they like i hate to say they're iconic use that term but you know they're memorable as opposed to these were like you said they're just generic monsters you would see in a video game well, which is funny because they made a Space Jam, a new legacy game, which is not an NBA Jam arcade style sports game. It's a beat 'em up. And now it's just like you see what? that game and it's, yeah, it's a, it's a beat 'em up. And the, the, uh, the goon squad show up as bosses. So it's just like, okay, so was that decision made before the game was made or was it like in co production and such? Like that's how a lot of movie tie in games are like and what, what have you. And then they kind of give up on it. Well, it's weird. They don't pick a consistent theme with the Monstars. I mean, the Goon Squad. Because mm-hmm. at least the Monstars were all just kind of big ogre-like cr- trolls and such. Here, it's like you got a Birdman, you got a Spider Woman, you got a Snake Woman. But then you got a guy who can control fire and ice- and water. And then Kronos, who can control time. Which, why was he not in the game in the first place? Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's like the the most. He's like the OP character that you can play on single player, but then in multiplayer, it's like, it's like you can't play as him. But yeah, not much of an impression. I, and it's sad because we saw 
I saw this a few times on Twitter and Facebook. What if they just did a Lego Batman and just got a bunch of super villains from all the different IPs that Warner Brothers had in the server first and make that the new goon squad? Like you could have had like I thought that's what it, when I was reading the description of when the you know details of the movie were, were was first coming out. I thought that's what they were going to do. Why, the team would have been like the Joker, Pennywise, like the mask. Like, yeah. Or you get the or you get the people from the Clockwork Orange film like what the heck were they doing there still? Anyway, I mean like yes, you can't have a Space Jam film without a, a basketball player playing with Looney Tunes. But I kind of wanted to see what a basketball game with King Kong, Superman and the Iron Giant would have looked like. Yes. That that would have been extreme. That would have been more fun because then it makes Bugs Bunny look kind of like a dick for like going against uh, LeBron's requests about like who to get. I mean, I don't know. That was just kind of me. I mean, it's not like a major plot point or it's something that ruins it for me, but he's just like, he goes like, why not just tell him, just get your friends back. His mindset during this part of the movie kind of bugged me because it goes through the same motion of oh, we can't, we can't play at their level. We got to be traditional and play basketball how I play it. Dude, you're going against a guy who's made of fire and water. Step it up. <laughs> like, and then, of course, they had that moment in time where they're like, oh, man, we're going to lose. We're, we're all going to fail. And then it's, they, get, like, they get pumped up and they go out there and they do the same thing they did in the first film. Yep. And even Bugs makes a reference to that. It's like, huh, isn't this kind of familiar? I mean, I, I guess they needed some kind of conflict with, between Bugs and LeBron because LeBron wants to play traditionally well. Bugs is like, but we play like Looney and Zany and fun. Well, let's also not forget the great joke in halftime. We're like, guys, we got Michael Jordan. <laughs> oh, gosh. I was not, a, I was actually kind of expecting Michael Jordan to be, be there, but then, no, Sylvester got Michael B. Jordan. I still would have picked him up. <laughs> <laughs> he's mike hey you got you got a killmonger i know he's, you don't own him but come on <laughs> well i mean he's seen in the creed movies i mean he's in great shape <laughs> oh that's true and, uh, and i wish michael b jordan had a better joke than just be awkward and such yeah, i thought that was pretty cute that it is kind of nice that like that michael b jordan is like showing up to support his friend because you know ryan coogler is a producer so he's like yeah, sure. I'll 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 stop by for like a day. Well, yeah, that's what that's felt like. Like he shot it during a lunch break. <laughs> that's why he was eating popcorn. <laughs> it's yeah. just like it's like hey, Eric, hey, hey, put put this on. You can eat, eat. You can keep eating your popcorn and just do this for five seconds, and then you can go on your way to whatever, <laughs> like Creed three. And then they do the whole thing where it's like, oh, they actually start doing well in the game because they're loony. Why didn't they do that in the first place? Because that's when the basketball game got fun. I mean, at least that's when I started to kind of enjoy the movie a little more. Like, I love, like, the water got uh, wet fire going, like, with the ball. And then Gossamer just super absorbs him like a like a sponge. Sponge, yep. Like, I thought that was fun. It's like, when they started going the more cartoony route with the game, that's when I thought it was at, at its best. Same. And when, and then, of course, when they bring Kronos back onto the field and Granny goes against him. Of course, the marketing really played up this part, and they played Granny up like to be the scene stealer, and didn't care much for half of her jokes. But I will say, a lot of Granny's big comedic set pieces were the most literal, like the most literal example of how do you do, fellow kids. 
Well, it was like they were trying to make a meme out of it when it's just like you don't make yes. a meme by forcing it into existence. You do it by people getting caught off guard. But you by... do have her make a Chappelle show reference, which is also weird. Which one was that? Game blouses. <laughs> oh, gosh, that was like if I didn't know about all of these zany moments with Granny, I think they would have impacted me harder. Like just or I just would have reacted to them better same word like you when you mentioned like you know the advertising for it, like really playing around was like i don't want you know granny who's one of my least favorite looney tunes character to be have the mo- more screen time over my favorite taz <laughs> taz had the best part of that of the game when he yeah. literally turns the world around for a brow to score in well the opposite basket and he's like wait what like I thought like when they put the gags on, that was great. Like when he's about to slam dunk another shot and Bugs does an old timey reporter thing and stops him in midair and he's like, Wait, what? That that oh. was I think that was my favorite part of uh the second half. When Bugs acts like Bugs. Yes. Yeah. Like when the Looney Tunes act like the Looney Tunes, it becomes a Looney Tunes movie. Wow. What a Weird. novel concept. Like or like when Tweety has the the uh the ball and it's like you have your ticket because the 1150 is about to arrive and then the bird guy gets run over by a train drawn out by a fictional a fake tunnel by wiley which that was great i I liked that gag and then of course we have like the one that showed up in like i think the second trailer where uh wiley coyote does that Mm multi-ball thing which i thought that was pretty great too but then they stop it because the movie's got to get serious again and it's just like okay all right. I See, I think that's the problem. They keep wanting this movie to be taken seriously and it doesn't work because you're not there to watch a movie be taken seriously. And then there was the whole Porky rap. Hmm. I, I've seen that scene out of context and in context three times now. That was just so try hard. I'm sorry, that was not good. I, well, I mean, I liked the little moment where they referenced that whole meme where everyone goes like, oh, snap. Mm-hmm. You twi- then you see Tweety fl- glide across the screen, like going, oh! <laughs> but other than that, stop trying to make the Looney Tunes rap. <laughs> it's not funny. They've been trying you know since they've, the 90s. They have, they've done this before on the soundtrack. Billy West recorded a, a Bugs Bunny rap written by Jay-Z called Buggin'. Oh my gosh. And I kind of wish they used some of the other characters there, like they didn't re- like Yosemite Sam and Foghorn barely didn't do anything that they, they were just there because they had to be there. Like that little training montage at the, like when they get all the characters together and it's still 2d like Foghorn did a lot more there than in the rest of the movie, which was just kind of interesting to me. And then I'm sorry. I just love Foghorn. I just love, love his character. And such. I love that when they're trying to play basketball, he gets one of those old time football uniforms on mm-hmm. and charges across the like the area like i thought that was funny like i mean what do y'all think like do you think they needed to get serious during the, le- the last part of the game or do you think they were just from a uh save the cat narrative perspective i kind of understand why the serious moments come where they do but this is a, this is a looney tunes movie we don't need it to be this serious all the time let let the looney tunes like have the wheel mm-hmm which is always the problem with these Looney Tunes films. They try to keep, we can't just make it just about them. And it's like, you can. 
these characters are timeless and most of the time the human characters are not good. I mean, like, for example, Lola Bunny is the only character to have a celebrity voice in this film. Zendaya Coleman plays her. Either she didn't know what to do with the character or there was just not enough to Lola as a character in the movie to do a lot with because we've seen Zendaya be funny and creative and charming. Like she's great in Smallfoot where you see her character in the background. Anyway. I think um, it's just one of those things where they know Lola is a known property fanboys love her. So let's just go ahead and get a famous person to voice her. So that way, again, we can get people, you know, butts in seats. Which, which really seems unnecessary because yes, you, you have Kat Suse right there. I believe she even like had all her lines like recorded, but you know, Hollywood can Hollywood. They have to have the celebrity to bring in the 25 or 26 year olds who are going to see this movie by themselves. No, yeah. And, and to be clear, I love Zendaya. I think she's great. Like, I like her in the Spider-Man Homecoming films as, uh, as Michelle. Yeah, as MJ. And because I like that kind of snarky sassiness that she brings to the character. And I like her, like, more wholesomeness with uh, Smallfoot. With Michi. Um, sorry, I had to say that or else people are probably going to bug us about it. But, I mean, like, I don't want to, like single her out as the worst of the celebrity voice actors because it's not her fault that she's not like Fred Tata Skewer or Eric Bauza. And like to, like to level it out, the basketball players that they that the goon squad mimics do voice their own characters and they're not great either. Mm-hmm. So it's like all the celebrity casting was not great. Now, what did you all think about the IP flood? Like there's that one scene that the marketing loved to play up where they show like King Kong, the Smallfoot characters, the Flintstones, the Iron Giants. Just all these characters flood in to make up the audience, which I thought that was enough. I don't think they needed to bring a bunch of real life people in, even though they had to bring in LeBron's family. So I guess... No, That's I like why they- blood. I like that image. I loved, you know, seeing all those properties coming out. My problem was they were just so distracting during the game because for a lot of them, their makeup and costuming was so bad. It was distracting me. Like Mr. Freeze looks no different than any of the ice, ice walkers from uh, Game of Thrones. <laughs> or the guy they had as Jim Carrey's mask. Like... Like, I think they just had a mask of him smiling the entire time. It looked creepy. It's almost like they weren't, like, with some of the live-action characters, they pretty much look like theme park cast members. Mm-hmm. Like, But as as far as, like, the, the flood of IP, that really just reminded me of, like, an updated version of, in the original Space Jam, when when we see, like, the line of cars going to the stadium. That's just, like, a yeah, modern what, version of that. Yeah. That's what I thought I was thinking, too. No, but it's just, it was just interesting to see all, like, you see Captain Caveman, you see the Jetsons, you see the Flintstones, you see Jabberjaw, you see Yogi Bear, Magilla Gorilla, you see Space Ghost, not Adult Swim Space Ghost, just Hanna-Barbera Space Ghost, you see Blue Falcon, you see Dynamite, you see the, uh, the Thundercats, which was kind of interesting to see in the background, and I will say, as much as, like, the algae is still the best, still love the, the punchline way, it's just like, King Kong, has nothing on me. And King Kong's just like, right? <laughs> like the, how dare you? <laughs> he gives like the, am I a joke to you? <laughs> Look. 
Yeah, he does. Now, in terms of the animation, I thought they looked good in CGI, like a lot of characters. Like I said, like the, the Hanna-Barbera stuff. I still thought it was a little distracting to see the Iron Giant be so recklessly running. I mean, I get it. He's just the, the image and such. But I, it's like, I kind of understand now why people had such an issue with him, like in Ready Player One. And then in this movie, when in his, the, one of the best animated movies of all time, mm-hmm. he was not that reckless. Until, you know, when he was, when he thought the kid died and what have you. But still, I thought like the, I think some of the characters had looping animation because it seems like at points they never quite reacted the same way to what was happening in the game. And some of them look kind of dead because it's like, oh, they're, they'll be far off into the background enough. You won't see them. Who cares? But since I was watching this to take notes, and, and it was just interesting to me. I'm sorry, it's a, this is an animation thing for me. So I did notice like a couple of re- repeating reaction shots. Well, oh, it, yeah. it, I noticed that too. I mean, I feel like that's what happened. Like they they just filmed the, everyone, even like the live action people, to do a few minute loops, and then and do just, a few exclusive ones, and then just press and replay. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And I understand this movie costs a lot of money. But it 150 also, million. But it also seems like a very cheap thing to do. But whatever. Cameron, I want to get back to your point about the Iron Giant. I thought it was more disrespectful in Ready Player One because they made him to be a weapon, which right. he doesn't want to be. As opposed to this one, yeah, he's running around, but I mean, it's not like there's a city nearby or anything like that because it's the abandoned Looney Tunes world. So I was more okay with that. But no, I thought it was more disrespectful. That's true. That's true. It was more disrespectful in uh, Ready Player One. Yeah, right, right. That's 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 very that's that's true. I'll take my comments back from that. Now, out of all of the forms our algae rhythm could have taken, he just chose a slightly uglier CGI muscular look of Don Cheadle. I know, that's, right? Really, that's the best. That's the most creative you could have come up with. It's kind of like in Aladdin when when Jafar goes from like the sultan to it's like instead of jafar becoming like a powerful genie he just kind of becomes like a slightly taller version of himself yeah it's it's like there's a lot of creativity with this film at points and then they just kind of cheapen out and ugly cgi don Cheadle does not look good i i thought that was the weakest looking thing there why would he not like take a little bit of everything from the goon squad or like something like that to be a little more creative instead of just weirdly purport, body proportions Don Cheadle this movie plays like the like the first film has the same story beats I don't know I, I just kind of felt underwhelmed more than satisfied with what happened especially with the fact that they build up this glitch from the beginning of the film to this because algae rhythm turned the big basketball game into basically quote-unquote live action version of the Suns game and then they bring back the glitch Bugs takes the hit and does the glitch. And then he dies, but then it's just like, oh, wait, I'm a tune. I don't die. It felt like a very bad emotional point at the film. Mm, yeah, they definitely botched that. Yeah. And again, that's what happens when you have six writers and you have no one looking over. It's like, hey, wait a minute. We introduced this element. We can't have this happen, but like we're on a crunch period WB is not going to credit everyone in, in the film. So we better do our best so they can put our credits in the film. For context, someone got left out of the credits who worked on the film. A character designer mm. um, got left off the credits. So screw you, WB. Stop doing that. They apparently do that a lot. 
yeah they're 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 bad yeah one more positive note i want to end on i think having ernie johnson jr and lil ray howry as uh, the commentators as like the commentators that was genuinely a great a great decision i agree and i guess i'll say one more part i liked was when um don Cheadle was just like we if the goon squad wins you all stay here forever and daffy's just like well at least we'll be okay oh and by the way the tunes they'll be deleted after this so okay (laughs) and then everyone gets mad at daffy yeah (laughs) again don Cheadle, man you are way too good for this movie But yeah, in general, like after talking about it, our journey through the new legacy, what did y'all think about the Well, like, what, what are your final thoughts? Eric, I'll let you go first. Um, like I said at the beginning, like, it, this is Space Jam. This is, this is not like, you know, they're redoing Casablanca or doing The Godfather. It, it's Space Jam. It's the sequel to Space Jam. So as long as it's a stupid, entertaining film that... You know, you could watch with your kids or you could just shut your brain off for an hour, at least this time, an hour and 15 minutes. Just in whatever opinion you have on Space Jam is the right opinion because it's like a mad fever dream where you're not exactly sure what you saw and you might have to see it again. Just so, But the second time, you might see something completely different. All right, Mike, what did you think? At the end of the day, I kind of take the pizza approach when it comes to any any Looney Tunes property. This may not be the greatest slice of pizza, but it's still pizza. You still have the Looney Tunes there. And when they are in their element, those are some of the more memorable moments. But like the movie as a whole is a mess. It really, it really kind of suffers from the lack of a singular vision. But like whatever my opinion is, it should not dissuade anyone who either hasn't seen it and is still excited or has seen it and loves it. Like your opinion is your own. But if you ask me, I think this movie is kind of a mess. Yeah. Outside of some creative moments and when the Looney Tunes are able to be the Looney Tunes, it's a film that's a little too long at two hours or almost two hours. A lot of the humor doesn't work. The story is a retread and it doesn't fully have the emotional core it wants. And it's kind of flooding of the IP and just its lack of taking advantage fully of that leads me to like, it's underwhelming to me, but I still had fun. And of course... This is just us, some young adults talking about this. Of course, kids are going to love this. They're going to have a blast. Mm-hmm. Like, don't take our word and be like, you're dumb if you take your kids to this. No, if they want to watch it, let them watch it. it I could think of a lot worse animated films to watch right. from this <laughs> year. So, like, I've seen some Drek. This is not one of them. So it's fun enough. But there's just not much to it for for most people. So that's all I have to say. And now we move on to the recommendations segment of the show. And of course, I'm going to get my two obvious ones out of the way. For a specifically Looney Tunes recommendation, I think PJ would kill me if I didn't mention uh, Looney Tunes back in action, which, as I mentioned before, was initially conceived as a Space Jam spinoff called Spy Jam, starring Jackie Chan. But... Then that kind of morphed into what we got instead, which was a still not really a perfect movie, but at least it it does the best job of capturing the essence of the Looney Tunes. And, you know, it's got a it's got a great cast. It had it's um Brendan Fraser, Jen Elfman, 
uh, Timothy Dalton. It is just a a wild romp of a film. And obviously the best example, just in general, of the whole live action animated hybrid, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It's Mm -hmm. one of the most groundbreaking movies of all time. And it's because of that movie that Disney was emboldened to take animation like very seriously. That movie's success led like directly into, oh, so next year we're doing The Little Mermaid and it's going to be a big hit, kicks off the Disney renaissance. Yeah, what's not to love? Now for me, my recommendation, since we're still going through the big anime season of this summer 2021 season, I'm going to recommend two comedies. Now these are dark comedies. So you kind of have to gel with the premise that both of them go for. And they're pretty much like, you're gonna, you gotta have to love the idea of the premise or else you, you might not get too much out of it. So here are the two. The first one is called Life Lessons with Uramichi Onisan. So picture this, you're 26, you're the late twenties, early thirties and such. And you had a promising career as a gymnast that career is put on the back burner as you are made the athletic host of a very middling just not big uh children's show it's like a barney kind of thing and then you do you've done it for a few years now and instead of like that like wearing a proper smile on your face and such the smile you have is holding back all the crippling anxiety, depression, and midlife crisis you would have at this age period. And you just let it slip to all the little kids that you're on with the show with. And that's basically what Life Lessons with Uramichi Oni-san is. It's a bunch of young adults who are kind of stuck on being on this kid show for a career because they can't do anything else. But it's just the reactions to it all how Uramichi will break character while they are literally recording and the director is not stopping him to do so. Like he'll have, like he'll talk and he'll have like a raspy voice at one point and a kid will be like, Uramichi Oni-san, why is your breath so raspy? And he's like, it's because of the, all the long nights of drinking. And they won't call cut or anything like that. They're, they just let that roll. And the kids, the kids don't know any better. So that's how the comedy works. You kind of have to be in the right mindset of this show or else you'll probably go into a depression spiral depending on where you are with it. But I just find it funny because all the young adults are all like, hey, everyone, all the kids, yay, clapping and having fun. Or it's like one of them's just like, oh my gosh, I need to get the heck out of this relationship with my boring, not funny comedian boyfriend. And then the most handsome, and how to word this, like capable individual has his mind constantly in the gutter and it's this weird but delightfully off-putting dark comedy that I think really works it's not the most animated show out of this season but it doesn't have to be it's more about the performances and the jokes and just the inter- and just the situation I find it constantly funny but that's just me the other one dark comedy is an isekai called the dungeon of black company it's about uh, Kenji Ni- Ninomiya, who is like a rich socialite a-hole, aka described as a neat, not in education, employment, or training. He didn't do anything to really like know what a hard day's work is, and yet he took advantage of 
a bunch of different economies overseas and now is super rich. He gets transported into a fantasy world, into kind of like a steampunk era kind of fantasy world. So there's there's still magic, but there's like companies and mining and what have you. It gets put into a black company, which is definitely like, if you know about that term, it's basically uh, companies that really put people in not great working conditions, working for very little money. And it's turned him into like, okay, I got to make enough money to get the hell out of here. And I'm going to do whatever I can. And then, but the show is also like, poking at that system by using the fantasy archetypes and it's funny i mean if you're into like konosuba that kind of dark cynical humor or like it's always sunny in philadelphia dark comedy picture any like of your favorite black comedies and such like that you kind of have to have that mindset when going into this show but it's very funny and the character is actually learning to be a better person so i'm glad about that these two sound right up my alley yeah, especially that second one. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny because he's just like, he's standing in the middle of his like high, uh, like at the very top apartment or a condo. He's like, man, I don't have to work a day in my life. I could just sit around and just just do nothing. <laughs> and then a hole opens up behind him and he falls into it on accident. And I can understand why some people are like, oh, I am not dealing with this at all. Both are very funny. They're both on Funimation. So if you have that streaming service, you, you can find them there and that'll be my recommendations. Eric, you got anything to recommend for our audience? Uh, here's the, you know the expression preaching to the choir, but I'm going to be doing something here because I'm assuming maybe hopefully someone who will listen to this has never actually watched the iron giant and needs to watch the iron giant. Cause again, even though it's a classic for animated lovers out there, it's still not widely known. And as we were talking about him earlier, I was like, you know, there's still some people out there who haven't watched that movie. So if you're listening to this and you've never watched the iron giant and you have HBO max, Please do watch it. It's beautiful. It's amazing. Funny thing is next month at my local theater, they're screening the signature edition of The Iron Giant. And I'm going to try to uh, to go to one of those screenings. Nice. One, nice. Other, one other recommendation I have that Cameron and I talked about last week. We talked about season two of the new Looney Tunes cartoons on HBO Max. And if you're ever curious to check out all of the classic shorts, you can find them on HBO Max, on Boomerang, or wherever you, wherever you happen to stumble upon them. So yeah, we gave you a, a lot of recommendations this week. And next week, we'll be talking about the new Netflix animated series, uh, Master of the Universe Revelations. Yay. So that should be a, a fun time. We'll also be talking about uh, words bubble up like soda pop which is the anime film that's coming out that same week. So yeah, that'll be a fun one. That brings this episode to a close. Um, Eric, thank you for joining us on this one. Um, oh, thank you gentlemen for having me. Uh, it's only because the whole point of having a podcast is to get invited onto other people's podcasts. So I appreciate you guys sending me the invite. Absolutely. No now, before we head out of here, Eric, where can everyone find you online? You can find me on Twitter at handsome cheat. Um, sorry handsome underscore cheese you can also find me as part of the, the junkin network the pj campbell network with ramble on about movies and i also hop on some of their other shows as well nice cameron uh you can find me on twitter at uh, twitter.com slash cams or at cams view 
I run my own website called uh, camseyeview.biz where I review animated films and shows called The Other Side of Animation. I am, well, of course, the co-host of this podcast. <laughs> um, oh. You can uh, find, I also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash camseyeview. If you like my work, um, you can support me that way. And that's where you can find me. And you guys can find me on Twitter at CaptainK42. You can check out all my quick thought reviews on letterbox.com slash CoachK42. You can find me in all the various Facebook groups just at my name. You can check out Renegade Pop Culture on Facebook and Twitter at Ren Pop Culture. You can also look for us on Podchaser. We will have a Patreon coming soon. Details to be determined. You can listen to all of our podcasts on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. And last but not least, everything can be found at renegadepopculture.com. In escape, so do we. That'll do it for this installment of Renegade Animation. We will catch you guys later. Peace out. Bye, everybody. Bye.